Hi, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in San Diego. Thank you so much for watching today. If you'd like to support the work that we do here, please consider making a contribution. Go to our website. It's easy to do. Thank you in advance for that contribution. So today I want to finish up this short series that I've devoted to After the Storm. And specifically, I want to share some practices with you to help with the idea of tending your life more mindfully. Tending your life more mindfully. As we come out of this time, I think it's so helpful for us to, to ask ourselves some important questions. And we've been doing that uh, throughout this month. Questions like, what needs my attention now? What needs my attention now? What's in my locus of control? And what needs tweaking or correcting in my life? So what, what needs my attention? What's in my locus of control? What's within my sphere of direct influence? And what might need some tweaking or changing? And as I was thinking about those questions, I was also appreciating how it's not just valuable coming out of a time like this, but it's helpful whenever there's a significant change in our lives, a change of lifestyle, a change of circumstances, a change of location, a significant change in our relationship, to really be able to step back. And I say that often, don't I? I use the phrase to step back and to look with fresh eyes and to look through the lens of, all right, what is needing my attention now? What is within my realm of of influence and control, and what needs to be tweaked or changed. And that, those kinds of questions really force us to work at the level of cause, not at the level of effect. And so much of what we emphasize in metaphysics, in, in um, spiritual mysticism, is working at the level of cause, not effect, working at the level of consciousness. Perhaps you are familiar with the parable of the babies found floating in the river. There was a village, and a river ran through the village. And one day, a villager is out walking past uh, alongside the river. And he notices a baby floating in the river. And he rushes out to save the baby. And the baby is, is fine, and saves the baby, and cares for the baby. And the next day, he's out walking along that same path. And now he sees two babies floating in the river. And he's quite concerned. And he jumps in once again, and he rescues both of them. Now he has three, three babies that he's caring for. And the next day, he takes that same walk, and he sees even more babies. And he realizes, oh my gosh. And so the whole village comes to support around these babies that keep floating in the river. They build a watchtower to be able to see when the babies are coming downstream. They train swimmers to be able to go out quickly and rescue the babies. They build an orphanage to care for the babies. But one day, one villager finally says, I'm leaving the village. I'm going upstream to see who in the heck is throwing the babies in the river. It is that kind of stepping back, that kind of deliberately working at the level of cause in our lives that is about or is the way that we tend more mindfully. We look at what's in our locus of control, as it is called, and what is our life 
telling us about what needs our attention right now and how are we going to respond to it. So here are three practices that'll, that I find helpful and maybe you will as well. The first is specifically tend to the cause. That's what the villager who finally left and said, all right, yeah, we, there's an immediate effect here. The babies are in the river, but we got to figure out why the babies are in the river, right? Tend to the causes. Think about this. You decide that you want to, to grow apples, and so you go to a nursery and you buy the best, healthiest-looking apple tree, and you ask the people at the nursery, what kind of a fertilizer do I need to give this? How often does it need to be watered? How long before I'll get a harvest of apples? And you, you take note of all of that important information. You go home and you plant the tree and you do everything that you're told to do for that tree. And you think that you are growing apples. But are you growing apples? No, you're not growing apples. The smartest person in the world can't grow an apple. But the smartest person in the world, any person in the world, that pays attention to the causes that allow for an apple tree to grow and to thrive, that's what's in our realm of influence. In our New Testament, the Apostle Paul said, I, Paul, planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. In other words, in that illustration of the apple tree, Implicit in the seed of the apple, in the essence of the apple, is all it needs to grow itself. What we can do, and it is powerful what we can do, what we can do is make sure that all of the circumstances that support that growth are in place. And everything that would harm that growth is mitigated. We can tend to the causes, but we can't control the results. Let that sink in for a moment. We can tend to the causes, we can be mindful, we need to be mindful of the causes, but the actual results are out of our control. The actual result of that apple growing is not up to us. What is up to us is setting the environment where it has the best possible chance. A teacher can't make his student love math, but a teacher can do everything he or she possibly can to make it enjoyable, to remove any of the blocks to it, to make it exciting, but the teacher can't make the student love math. A business person can't make their employee be more productive, but a business person can create an environment where the employee feels safe to, to experiment, to take chances, to try new ideas. What is out of control, our control is a lot, but what's in our control is powerful, and that's where we really want to focus our attention. Just yesterday, John and I were out in our vegetable garden, and I've renamed part of our vegetable garden my tomato tree garden. I now know the difference between determinate tomato plants and indeterminate tomato plants. 
indeterminate means I could have a gigantic tree. I actually had to get on a small stepladder two weeks ago to put in one more pole because this one tomato tree is growing so tall. I couldn't reach it anymore to tie it and to cage it properly. But what we noticed on another one of those very tall, happily growing tomato trees, we're not growing them, but we're doing everything we can to tend to the causes that will allow them to thrive and to mitigate the problems. And we discovered, John did, that one branch had about four huge tomatoes on the verge of weighing at least a half a pound each, and the poor branch is beginning to crash. So we're up there yesterday with strips of t-shirt, climbing again. Are we growing tomatoes? No, we're not. But we are doing everything we can to make the environment in which the growth itself will happen be most successful. The same is true of us as we look out upon our lives to ask what is needing my attention right now? Where are the tomatoes about to fall and break in your life, metaphorically speaking? What is needing your attention that you need to step back and ask what is it that I need to change to allow this to be producing the results that I want. There's a great little book by the title, Just One Thing, written by Rick Hansen. He is a meditation practitioner and a neuropsychologist. And this is what he writes about this idea. He writes, you are responsible for the causes you can tend to. If you are not getting the results you want in your life, ask yourself, Am I truly doing everything I reasonably can to promote the causes of those results? You can relax to attachment to results. When you understand that much of what determines whether they happen or not is out of your hands, you worry less about whether they'll happen and you suffer less if they don't. Tend to the causes. Tend to the cause. It's, it's, it's a paradox, isn't it? The less we focus on the results and the more we focus on improving the causes, what do you think happens? The results become more successful. I think this in part is what Henry David Thoreau was pointing to when he said, there are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil to one who is striking at the root. We want to strike at the root in our lives. So putting this into practice means that we look with open, honest, childlike eyes at where are we not getting the results that we would like to get in our lives and identifying the where. Is it in our work? Is it in our relationships? Is it in our health, our spiritual well-being? Where are we not getting the results that we want? And then honestly looking and asking, am I tending mindfully to the causes that could produce the results that I'd like to have? And that leads us into the next one, the next practice, because if we're not tending mindfully to the results that will produce, tending mindfully to the causes that will produce the results we want, we're going to end up with a lot of problems. We're going to end up 
with smoldering flames. The second is practice is putting out fires. So we look at where are we not getting the results in our lives? Where is our life not, not functioning well? And we're honest with ourselves when we look and we say, what is needing our attention? Isn't it better to pay attention when there's a little smoldering ember than to wait until it becomes a blaze? I mean, we live in Southern California, right? We have seen, some of us, firsthand the devastation of fire. We have first responders that do an amazing job in helping to protect us and in getting smarter and smarter at devising ways that we can notice much sooner than later where there are flare-ups. But the same is true in our lives. What is screaming in your life for your attention? In this last 15 months or so, have you neglected your physical well-being? You know, they joke about the, the COVID-15, right? Have you fallen off of the practices that keep your body healthy during this time? And is your body starting to respond to that? Is your body starting to say, hey, pay attention? Or is there a primary relationship in your life that, that is needing your attention, that there are little smoldering embers saying, you know, you haven't been caring about your primary relationship or this person in your life in the way that, that you made a commitment to or the way that you know would cause that marriage or that relationship to really thrive instead of just languishing. And so this is what it is to live more mindfully, I think, to really be willing to pay attention, to notice when something is saying, this isn't right. You know, the body is set up I think in such an amazingly exquisite way. Pain is a powerful prompter for us to do what? To pay attention. And not to cover it over, but to pay attention and try to, to determine as best we can what is the real root cause of that pain so that we can deal with it at the root cause and provide the environment then for health to happen. And I'm sure you can see how these ideas are as practical on the individual level as they are on a much larger level, whether we're talking in family systems or in communities or in our country as well. Oops, that's okay. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to pay attention or not. But to pay attention to notice what is arising in our life and what is asking for our attention. And the reason we do that is because many more options exist for us to handle the problem or the issue effectively if we do it earlier on, right? Whether we're talking about our health of our body or we're talking about the health of a relationship or the health of our finances. The sooner we catch it and are willing not just to catch it and identify it, but to do something, the more options we have. Rick Hansen also made this statement. I absolutely love this. He says, if you're stuck, you ever felt stuck in your life? Stuck? He says, if you're stuck, you don't need a more perfect plan. You need to take imperfect action. Isn't that great? If you're stuck in your life, you don't need a more perfect plan. 
you need to take imperfect action. You know that expression, paralysis of analysis? Right? Remember that expression that sometimes we get so stuck, I, well, maybe I'm just speaking to myself right now, in trying to come up with the most perfect plan to get from point A to B that I never really move forward very much at all because I'm trying to perfect the plan. When you're stuck, you don't need a more perfect plan, he says, and I think he's onto something here. You need to be willing to take some imperfect action. And the last practice comes from what I understand to be a Buddhist parable. It's the idea of don't throw second darts. Say that with me. Don't throw second darts. What in the world does that mean? It's a metaphor to describe unhelpful reactivity. Don't throw second darts. So in order to understand what is meant by second darts, we have to first kind of back into it and understand what is meant by first darts, right? What is meant by first darts are the, is the suffering of life itself. Just that stuff happens. Stuff happens. Those are the first arrows. The second arrows are the arrows that we inflict upon ourselves because of the first arrow. It goes back to the reading that I shared with you earlier. Let me read it again. When you get hurt, say by an arrow, that is pain. That's the first arrow. The arrow hitting your arm, it hurts, pain. However, there is a second arrow, which is your reaction to the first arrow. The getting angry, the planning revenge, that is beyond pain. That is suffering. That is what we bring on to ourselves. That's a layer we put over that first arrow that makes it that much worse. We have a headache, first arrow. We start thinking, oh my God, I have a brain tumor. I better not go to the doctor. I'm afraid to go to the doctor because I don't really want to know what the doctor says. That's the second arrow. That's making the first arrow even worse. And what second arrows often do is they keep us from taking the action that we really do need to take in addressing that first arrow. We lose our job and our finances are disappearing. First arrow. We then begin to tell ourselves a story, oh boy, this is a really bad time. I'm never going to find work. Oh my gosh, the bills are piling up. I'm going to have to file bankruptcy. Second arrow keeps us from addressing the first arrow, makes the fact of the first arrow that much more painful. We have to deal with the first arrow, but we want to not compound it by the stories that we tell ourselves. Anybody relate to the idea of the second arrow? Raise your hand if you've ever... Okay, most of you, me too. And just that language, just having, being able to name it and catch ourselves and go, Oh, the first arrow was X, but I see what I'm doing in my mind right now. I'm shooting a second arrow at myself, and I don't have to do that. I should take the first arrow out first and tend to whatever that first arrow is requiring me to attend to. Does this take some mental discipline? I think it does. I think it absolutely does. And to me, this is one of the things that a meditation practice helps prepare us to do better. 
Because in a meditation practice, we are retraining our mind. We are bringing back or bringing in that monkey mind. We're corralling it, if you will, so that that monkey mind and that chatter can be dialed way, way down. So we can be more clear-headed, more clear-minded, more open-hearted, and receptive to, I call it divine wisdom. I believe in that. You may just feel it's your own deeper wisdom. It doesn't matter what we call it. But when we are agitated by that second arrow, when we are not tending to causes and just working at the level of effect, when, when we are ignoring that which needs our attention now, we will make matters so much more difficult for ourselves. We will add on unnecessary suffering. What I have found in our spiritual teaching of unity are practices that help me to be able to live my life more mindfully. And hopefully in your learning about unity, your being here in the books that you read, you are learning as well to live your life more mindfully, to catch yourself when you're shooting that second arrow, to catch yourself when you're not paying attention. And hopefully in the process of becoming more aware of some of these things, you are also at the same time that you are being aware and honest with yourself, at the same time you are being gentle and kind with yourself. Not beating yourself up for the fact that you've caught yourself shooting a second arrow again, but just being grateful. Oh, there I go. Okay, I can stop that now. That's what the journey to me is, is about. It's a couple of steps forward, sometimes a step back, sometimes a step sideways, but always being as mindful and present and gentle with ourselves as we can, knowing that we are growing and unfolding. Namaste.